City University Television presents... The American Theatre Wing Seminars. Working in the Theatre. This seminar, producing. A warm welcome to the American Theatre Wing's Working in the Theatre Seminars. They're now in their 24th year, and we are bringing them to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. Since first introduced, more than 800 of Broadway's and off-Broadway's best have been seminar guests. As many of you already know, the Wing is more than the Tony Awards, though. These Tony Awards are given for distinguished achievement in the theater. But we are an organization whose year-round programs are dedicated to serving the theater and the community with the goal of developing new audiences. To achieve that goal, we have created audience development programs for students, such as Introduction to Broadway, which was begun five years ago and has enabled 60,000 New York City high school students to attend a Broadway show, many for the first time. And through our newest program, Theater in School, theater professionals like those you will meet today go directly into classrooms to work with and talk to students about working in the theater. In addition, we have our hospital program, which dates back to World War II in the stage door canteen. Through it, performers from Broadway, off-Broadway, and the cabaret world have entertained more than 75,000 veterans, hospitals, children's wards, and aid centers in the New York area, bringing the magic of theater to those who cannot get to the theater itself. We're proud of the work we do. We're proud to have this working relationship with the theatrical community, and we're grateful to everyone who makes what the American Theatre Wing does possible. We hope that you'll enjoy and learn from today's seminar, which is on the production. It's a production of Stanley and the people that made it possible to bring it from over there to over here are on the panel today. And so, from your right, let me introduce Evan Shapiro, the marketing director, M. Edgar Rosenboom, executive producer, and George White, president of the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center, and our esteemed director, both here and abroad. And Brendan Gill, author, critic in residence at the New York Magazine, and on the board of directors of the American Theater Wing. Gregory Mosher, producing director, Bill Evans, public relations. And now I will turn it over to both Brendan and George, who will begin to probe what it is that makes that made the Circle and Square Theater production of Stanley so very successful. George? Uh, I'd like to start, if I may, with uh, Greg and ask you, um, first of all, how you found it, the, the whole uh, discovery process, um, and then what you did, uh, what was in your mind to bring it here and then we'll go perhaps to Edgar about how you structure the rights and then the marketing and promoting so that it has a structure. But great sure. uh, Stanley is a, a play by Pam Gems. It was written for um, Anthony Schur, who played it at the National Theatre of Great Britain. 
And um, I, I didn't see it there, and I was only, I suppose, very vaguely aware of it. Um, I was <clears throat> hired to come to Circle and Square last summer, and the thing that I was grappling with the most was how to use the space. I think it's a great space. I think it's maybe the best space in the city, but it is, as they say, a difficult space. You want to explain that? Because a lot of Circle in the Square is a long, thin, thrusty theater surrounded on three or four sides, if you choose, by seven rows of seats. It's 600 seats in a very small space, which is fantastic because you get a lot of audience energy, enough space in which to do a Shakespeare play, or as Al Pacino did earlier this year, essentially a monologue. Both will work. Um, but it hasn't it has often not worked well over the years, and the first thing I was trying to explain to the board was that they didn't have a handicap with this theater. They had a huge advantage. And I kept saying, for instance, this theater that makes you so nervous is shaped identically to the Cottesloe Theater at the Royal National Theater in England, the most desired of all small theaters in London. So why do they love it the most, and you're embarrassed about it? And because God is sometimes, not often, but sometimes good, God arrived in the form of a phone call from John Caird, the RSC director and very well-known London director, um, who said, we have Stanley, a new play by Pam Gems. We didn't move it to the West End because we couldn't find the right theater. We can't move it to Broadway because we don't have the right theater. We belong in the Cottesloe, and therefore we belong in your theater. And we began this process of moving the core, which is to say the director, the set, and the four principal actors from London to America. And, um, and so we did, and how we did that will be the subject of this afternoon. But it was a phone call from John, who couldn't figure out how to move a Cottesloe show to Broadway. I was looking for a Cottesloe. It was just a fluke. It was a complete fluke, as so many of the best things in the theater are. However, um, when you move it, uh, any show from London to New York, Instantly, you have the question of how many actors are going to be allowed to come and for right. how long and all that because of equity. So is that the first thing you have to make sure? Yes, Otherwise, everything else won't fall into You're place. absolutely right, Brent. And I, I had been out of the theater for a few years, and I thought it would be monstrously difficult. So the first phone call I made was to Alan Eisenberg, the head of American Equity. It turns out he had seen Stanley. We had a cup of coffee the next morning very early. I wasn't even sure if we should be having an official meeting or not, if I was proposing something illicit. And he said, uh, no, on the contrary, we'll just do a swap. It'll be fine. Thousands of actors, it turns out, have gone back and forth in the last couple of years. And that was unimaginable in 1985, say. You had to petition the Supreme Court and, <laughs> and, and Tony Blair uh, uh, in order to get an actor. Um, but now you just, you just do it. And so the National will bring four actors um, to their theater sometime mm -hmm. soon. Now, you get so you had no trouble where you thought you might have trouble. That turned out to be wonderful with equity. That's right. Then, so what is always necessarily the next step so that you won't be treading water in vain? The audience, spread. <laughs> <laughs> the, audience. the audience was the next step. And what <coughs> united uh, uh, Edgar and I in our first meeting and what it brings Bill and Evan and Edgar and I on an almost daily basis now is the search for a new audience for Circle in the Square. Um, Circle was created the year that Marlon Brando filmed A Streetcar Named Desire. You have to imagine this kid. That's when these guys, Mann and, and Quintero, had the idea of starting this theater. Truman was president, folks. That's how long ago it was. 
And um, not Truman Capote. No. <laughs> he wasn't <Sure>. president. <laughs> he came later. Oh, yeah. So um, what we wanted to do, there were a faithful few subscribers, but we knew that that subscription wasn't the answer for us. And, and we wanted to find a young audience for Circle. We wanted to find, the, essentially, the audience it had in 1951. We wanted to find young people, and we immediately settled on this $10 ticket and membership as the way to do it. So we come out, this was all happening in sort of September, October-ish. Um, and Thanksgiving, we launched a campaign which lasted eight weeks, and we signed up 23,000 people for our $10 ticket program. Hold well, it, but, because but I, I want to know how the we got into this. When did we become we, and why? We became, in, uh, in late October, um, I got a call from a, a mutual friend headhunter in, in our industry, so to speak, who said, mm -hmm. would I come and meet Greg Mosher? He's just taking over Circle and Square, and he's looking for a partner. And I've always been willing to speak to people about jobs I never intend to take uh, my whole career. I won't name all those institutions around the country where I've been for interviews. And uh, Gregory and I sat down and we literally spoke in his apartment for three hours about nothing but audience. We didn't speak about organization. We didn't talk about money. We didn't talk about director's choice of plays. We talked about audience and we made a connection. And I think that connection led immediately to a quick interview with some of the board members who offered me a job, and I asked them under what authority, because I'm sort of used to search committees and headhunters and so forth and so on. Anyway, it happened, and uh, it was serendipity, and I, I jumped after 26 years in New Haven. Uh, there was a changing of the guard going on there, and I thought, this is an exciting offer. Uh, Todd Haynes isn't leaving Roundabout. Bernie Gerson isn't leaving Lincoln Center. Barry Grove isn't leaving Manhattan Theater Club. It's the only opening of a major institution in New York. Well, now, I, I went. You're close to New Haven. I'm close to New Haven. I'm close to Woodstock. And but, but then. But the uh, long walk had a subscription. I'll explain it in a second. Isabel wants to know how these two yeah. gentlemen got involved. Okay. Does Bill come into that then? Bill came, comes into this because we worked together for years. Yes. Um, Was well, it Bill that would have done the poster directed that? We We're, collaborated. We all really collaborated, but more intense. But you are a press agent. I am. Uh, and a very good press agent. Well, I get very involved in the artwork, as not every press agent does that, and not every producer likes it, or the ad agencies don't like it. But I really think you want to have a, what you present as your campaign. You want to reflect what you're doing on the stage and everything. But the boldness of what Gregory was doing, Circle in the Square, uh, you know, a, a great institution, it sort of, you know, not, not uh, blown up. It just had sort of gone away from... Uh, our thinking. And so they went, the board of directors got Gregory out of uh, theater. He was in, in the movie land and they tempted him back. And uh, the idea that he's going to sell $10 tickets, and it's like, well, how are you going to send it? You know, how are you going to do that? So we, that was the lead of the campaign. And, and it was exciting to people when you, when you spoke about it, that Gregory's at Circle in the Square, and it's going to be a $10 ticket. And so people responded. So through interviews and... Uh, Whose idea was that, Bill? Gregory. And where did you ever hit on $10? Just because it sounded good and cheap. It was cheap. It was like a movie ticket. Yeah. And we kicked around other numbers, and, and uh, it seemed to me that for some of us, there's no difference between 10 and 15, but there's a, the, exactly the group of people we were going after found a huge difference between 10 and 15. And who are you going after? We, we need well, let's, uh, let's, we could let Evan talk about who we're yeah. going after. <laughs> you may talk. Uh, <laughs> Greg says uh, it's okay. <laughs>
Um, <laughs> we, uh, I, my history comes from uh, subscription theater or membership theater as well. I was at the Public Theater New York Shakespeare Festival uh, working under George C. Wolfe, and, and I had left there uh, last summer to start my own agency called Forefront. And um, <laughs> we, we, we were kind of sponsored. Keep going. <laughs> right. we're, we were kicking around working on a couple of different Broadway projects, and, and uh, Mr. Mosher and Mr. Rosenblum called us and asked us, would we consider working on, on Circle and Square? And I had said, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we, we don't work on any other institutions, although, you know, many of our clients should be in them. And um, <laughs> we, 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 we met with. Gregory and Edgar, and they talked about a $10 ticket. And my partners and I sat around after they, they left, and we just, a $10 ticket, on one, on one hand, we were frightened to death, and on the other hand, we were just absolutely thrilled. I mean, it was the first time anybody had ever said to us that they understood that marketing meant more than just how big the ad is in the what New York Times. What does marketing mean? It means, it means the time the curtain goes up. It means the price of the ticket. It means the ease in which to get the ticket. It means that you can know that you don't have to wear a suit and a tie to sit in the audience. It means that there's good food at affordable prices at the concession stand. Isn't and that press agent? Isn't that publicity? It's, it's part right? of it. It's packaging. Yeah. I mean, getting that information out there is part and parcel of both press and marketing. When you pay for it, it's marketing. When it's free, it's press. I mean, that's kind of the... <laughs> Mind it's, you, it's never free. It's never free. <laughs> but the thing was that, that comes with I was price. able to pitch, and hopefully you're, you're familiar with this big black circle with a 10 in it and a dollar sign that, we, that led our campaign. And with well, the poster, Stanley, I, I think is wonderful. It was so easily identified. Yeah. Well, well, that, that was another thing. The post, that photo, right I don't there, know if you can see the right photo back there. Uh, that's a picture of Tony Scher taken on, uh, oh, and over there, taken yeah. on Thanksgiving Day outside the National Theater on the bank of the Thames by a woman named Brigitte Lacombe. Brigitte was the production photographer at Lincoln Center for many years, and she single-handedly changed theater photography in the early 1980s by taking photos that looked like they came out of fashion shoots, which was her background. She was represented in Vogue and all the great magazines in the world, and no one had ever shot like that. And so we wanted a different look. Mm -hmm. we, it's on, in black and white on purpose. It yeah, looks yeah. like it belongs in a beautiful magazine. And so it sent a message, not of, you know, uh, train spotting hipness, but also, it's different. It's right. intriguing as well. And, and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a trend in the theater industry right now to kind of break the, the barriers that, of design that were kind of set for us over the last decade. Um, uh, there's a whole number of new designers coming to the industry, Spot Design, uh, Indica, um, Pentagram, who, who are not traditionally theater people. Um, and it gives a look to your, to your project that doesn't necessarily scream play that I don't want to see or musical that I've seen 10 times before. What and is your background? Mine? Yeah. Uh, I uh, was the director of marketing at the Public Theater New York Shakespeare Festival. And prior to that, I worked at Sereno Coin. Um, under Nancy Coyne and Matthew Serena. But how did you get, let's say, to Serena Coyne? How did you get to Nancy? How did, where, I where? scratched and clawed my way into Serena Coyne. I knew <laughs> that that was a place that, that there, was a, there was a lot of education going on in there that I needed to have. And prior to that, I was working at Cameron McIntosh's organization doing kind of guerrilla and grassroots marketing, corporate marketing. Um, and again, what I learned at, at uh, Cameron McIntosh's organization and prior to that at Richard Frankel's organization was that the things that meant marketing necessarily weren't the names in the ads or the size of the ads in the New York Times, which everyone seems to you know, spend all of our fortunes on or collected fortunes on, um, but it meant 
you know, much more than that. It meant the price of the ticket. It meant also the product that was on the stage, that marketing something begins with the choice of the play or musical itself and stems down to how comfortable the seats are. Well, um, no, you look to be 14 or 15. I but, am, actually. Uh, <laughs> I want to also quickly go back uh, to Stanley for a second because it all relates to the Thank circle. And, um, and, that, and that is... Uh, I guess it's really for you, Edgar. We we talked about the equity in people coming over, but then you talked about um, you know scenery, which is another thing that had to be cleared, and and the rights and all of that. Would you either? Well, it's, it's sort of a double package. In other words, we've entered into a contract with Pam Gems as the author, which is fairly standardized, and but also with the Royal National Theatre in England, and it's all in one package. And it's the rental of scenery, props, and costumes, and sound royalty rights to the author royalty rights to the Royal National Theatre, royalties to the original creative participants uh, in the production in London who then came to the United States. Uh, Peter Mumford, the lighting designer, Tim Hadley, who designed sets and costumes. So we had the whole team and they were all contracted through their individual union affiliations but also through a generic contract which uh, Circle in the Square and our attorneys worked out with the uh, Royal National Theatre. And the unions, uh, the, uh, for instance, USA, didn't have a problem with that? No. So the, yeah. the, the, the How long did Stanley run at the National Theatre in London? It's been in and out of repertory for almost a year, I believe. Mm -hmm. and, and then was it transferred to the West End? No, it did not transfer to the West End. It transferred to... Because there was no appropriate space. There was space. no appropriate right. space for mm -hmm. it in the West End. Nor on Broadway, except for How long did it run here? It ran here for three months, 12 weeks. And what did you expect when you were making all your plans? We thought eight weeks would be great, 12 weeks would be terrific, and 16 weeks would have been an extension. <laughs> well, now, well, Why well, couldn't you know was promising. I mean, as far as the stars, so far as Tony was concerned, did he sign up for... We originally contracted everybody through April 27th, and that's when we ran to. Yes. Oh. Now, Bill, well, then I guess it really is over to you. You get the script and say, now, wait a minute, how... Because uh, with a play named Stanley, and let's say you're living out in Mamaroneck, or uh, you say Stanley, I mean, isn't that living one of on your jobs? What is this? Uh, what is this play about? Is I it about not, two hours, or is I it have about, a wonderful you know? college education, and uh, I, I've read a lot, but I never heard of Stanley Spencer, who is a 20th century uh, British painter of of note. And he's an actual historical figure that Pam Gems, who sort of specializes in plays like this in Piaf, she's currently doing Marlena in England, that uh, this is a life about a man who lived and not all that long ago. So that's the first thing. And we got copies of photo photographs of paintings and found out sort of a, a religious erotic uh, thing. We tried to find ways to word it to represent him correctly. But also Tony Schur, who, who played Stanley as a, is an artist and a writer and many other things, but he's, he's very much uh, in sync with what was going on. And he, as he was actually painting at the beginning of the play up there on the scaffolding, um, and his work's been published. So what I do is try to put that into a concise package, and I would go to Brendan Gill and he would say, I know who Stanley Spencer is, you know, <laughs> and uh, we would talk about it. but. I would be able to give them a little information and about the company, and they were familiar with Stanley. Most of the journalists here are aware of what's going on in London, and are aware of someone like Tony Schur and John Caird. So once you have a package like that, and you also have the rebirth of Circle in the Square, it, it, it's, it's potent to them, and then they, they take it from there, and then they lead us a bit, um, that they want more of this painting or that painting in certain publications. Uh, did a lot of 
you know, his stuff. Then they wanted to do Tony's stuff. Mm. So there were sketches by Tony Sure that, that were his, not, not related to Stanley. So it, it's just a matter of intelligently, uh, or, 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 you know, pitching it or talking about it. You know what you're talking about enough. Can I, can I yeah. just add, yeah. for $10, all you have to do is arouse someone's curiosity. Hmm. All right. For 60 bucks, I don't know what you have to say to convince somebody to shell out two times $60. That's a lot of convincing. Yeah. You know, Christ coming down from the cross would get me maybe to shell out 120 bucks. But for 10 bucks, you say, Sounds interesting, doesn't it? It was good enough for the National Theatre, and then it started to win some awards in London, and that started to accrue to our benefit. And, uh, but it, it's, a, it's essential to me, to, and if you want to do these kinds of plays, interesting kinds of plays, and not have to load them up with movie stars, which is fun to do sometimes, but not have to do it, accessibility is everything. Yeah. Curious? Give us $10. And it worked. We ended up playing it. Now, you, you want know. to explain what happens after the $10 in terms of paying for things. Oh, the 10 you were talking about in the larger budgetary yeah. picture, Brendan? Well, well, for when you want people to come to the theater and you say right. $10. Right. But it isn't really just $10 for the rest of their lives, is it? Well, here's the deal. You join our theater by paying the grand sum of $37.50. And for the next 12 months, you're a member of Circle in the Square. During that year, you can see any play we do, best seat in the house, any performance for 10 bucks. Now, how is that different from subscription? That's what puzzles me. What's different from subscription is that I give you a certain amount of money, $120, say, not $37.50, but $120, and I now have seat D406 on October 12th, December 14th, May 11th, and something else. And of course, I can't come on those. That's subscriptions. Yeah. And I can't come on those dates, of course. I don't have a clue what I'm doing a year from now. So I call you 27 times to ask if I can change those dates. Yeah. And besides, maybe I don't want to see that. Maybe I think David Mamet is a foul-mouthed son of a gun, yeah. and I don't want to see that. Or maybe I think anything goes is kind of like, oh, who cares? Yeah. Who knows? Right. Not everybody likes everything. And that Our deal is, is you see what plays you want to see. And also allows us to do the plays when we can do them and extend their runs depending upon the demand from the public. And that, and that was, that was an important part. Pam, uh, I could not, and, and wanted to pay the $10, I said, wow, $10 tickets. I would still have to pay the $37.50. You would pay $37.50 plus your $10, okay. and then you'd be at $47.50, right. which is still right. considerably less than the right. cost of a Broadway okay. ticket. Right. See, okay. I was just Evan, this membership system was invented when Evan was in college. I mean, you've, for you, it's almost as familiar as subscription, because subscription, membership was invented basically at Lincoln Center in 1985. What's so that? You've, What's that? By Gregory. The membership system was oh. invented then. So it's a familiar thing to you, right. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, actually, 85, I was in high school. All right, let's um, go back but, to... <laughs> but, uh, let's go back he, to He's not then. 14 yet. <laughs> he was seven at that time. I want to go back to Stanley, then we'll come back to the audience. You're... Uh, you're a director, yes, and you had the English director that came over with Stanley. Yes. And did you work together with him, or are you then when you had? No, I was at his service. He had already directed this play right. very, very successfully in London, and. Um, and he was independent of you. He. he yes, I, tr I tried directed. to be there as a as a as was a nice host. Any, what was what was the problem on staging? What was the changes in staging? I was I was fascinated to watch John work because. He's an expert in these kind of long, thin kinds of mm -hmm. stages. 
and you have to be so great. I met John Caird when I first came to Lincoln Center. He was in town, I guess, just casting Les Mis the first time around. And um, we talked about the Mitzi Newhouse, actually, which is a thrust, mm -hmm. but a much gentler thrust. And we talked about the philosophy of working in thrust stages. That's how I met him. And we talked about, suppose you were doing Miss Julie, a three-character play with not a lot of movement, can't have people getting up to smoke cigarettes all the time, where would you put the table? Because there's a famous table in Miss Julie. And I put it there, and John said, oh no, you'd have to move it much closer to the audience. You'd have to move it way down into the thrust. And that was the first time that the light bulb went off. Don't play it safe in a thrust theater. Push on down there. Yeah, Push. don't play it like, uh, don't get mm -hmm. hooked by what, where, where the proscenium is no more. That's, That's right. 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 Yeah. It's like a piece of sculpture. It's not like a painting which has good sight lines. It's a piece of sculpture. It's great no matter where you look it's at it. You have to make the conceptual yeah. switch. Yeah. Yeah. So I loved watching John work and uh, I learned a lot from him in the last couple of months. And you have to say that for the actors also, or for the director directing the actors, it's much more difficult to work in that because they, they have to keep rounding. Yes, it is difficult, but it's difficult to me like riding, I don't know, cigar must be difficult. You know, you take a Sunday afternoon horseback rider and put him or her on cigar, and 30 seconds later from the mud they'll say, you know, that's a difficult horse. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Well, that Circle's a difficult theater to direct in, but it's like cigar. It's a great theater. You just have to, you can't just go out and give line readings. Is the entire, was the entire cast English? No, we supported them with eight magnificent American actors yeah. who fitted mm -hmm. in, I must say, Wonderful. seamlessly after a couple of weeks of rehearsal. Well, now, what is, what, was, uh, Edgar, what is the budget of Stanley? Stanley and cost... And how do you back that up with the $10 ticket and the membership sort of... Well, he, like here's the dramatic change, really. Not-for-profit theaters traditionally uh, have earned 60, 65, 70%, 75% of their operating uh, expenses. And... Nobody, and we have, we've been trying to find out who carved out that magical figure. Uh, I know I worked in that mode for years and years and years, and one of the things that we decided and got our board to decide is that in order to do this, in order to do a $10 ticket, in order to attract a new audience, a more diverse audience, a younger audience, we would have to now earn 50% of our money and raise 50% of our money. And that's the big differential. It cost $688,000 to open up Stanley. Uh, we grossed a million two hundred thousand dollars, and we spent a million two hundred thousand dollars. So there's your operating loss, about six hundred some odd thousand dollars, which is what we originally budgeted for all our shows for the year, six hundred thousand for each one of them. And with a little uh, built-in overhead, we're, we're setting up a budget which has a $1.8 million operating deficit, which means that's what we have to raise every year on top of what we earn at the box office. Uh, with a board committed and a staff committed to earning and raising 50% of the budget, we can make this operation go. How much do you get in from memberships? We've gotten in about $400,000 from memberships at this point. Yes. What do you hope for? We eventually would think we'd have about $750,000 in for the year. When we announce the next three or four projects that we're going to do, there will be another surge in membership, which will bring that ante up again. And then we'll begin to renew and rotate people, because this first group of people, uh, their memberships expire on March 30th, 98. The next group is June 30th, 98. They go a quarter after the year, and you do them four times a year. And you begin to roll this whole thing over and over again, and they will see all our productions in a year, if they choose to, at $10 a ticket. Do you trim all your costs, for example, uh, no three sheets, uh, just window cards, or did you do three sheets as well? 
Do you, did no, we never, we never did do three sheets, and it was partly an economic uh, consideration. Uh -huh. We're still gearing up financially at the theater. But we ended up playing in the high 80% of capacity anyway. So it was, we were trying to gauge on a week-by-week -week basis how much we had to press the market. Three sheets, three sheets is, is, is a, it's one of those you know, knee-jerk, we have to do three sheets, we have to do suburban commuter rails. The, that was also a conscious decision on how to... Okay, I'm, I'm back sorry. up. No, no, that's fine. But I think we should explain what three sheets are three sheets. and, and, and sure. uh, commuter, suburban, sure. you know, suburban, all of that's great. Will you explain it? This, is, this is a Broadway house, and traditionally on Broadway, uh, the things that you do automatically are three sheets. And three sheets are these long, and they're actually no longer made in three sheets. They're made in one or two mm. sheets. Mm. But they're these t very tall posters that you see in Schubert Alley. Um, and, and if you ever take the New Jersey Transit or Metro North into the city, you see them on the, on the platforms. And they are very effective forms of advertising to a certain audience. Um, they're also extremely expensive to place and to produce. Um, on this show and, and for this theater, there was a conscious effort to not do the norm as far as the marketing efforts. Obviously, we had to take ads in the New York Times. But the brochure thing, the drop thing, should, right. I, I, right. should be said here. Yeah, yeah the, something that we, that we did for, the, for Circle in the Square that um, I, I've been playing around with uh, on different projects for a little while, but n never to the extent that we did on this, uh, we really didn't do any direct mail very small samples of it, but no large direct mail push for membership or, or, or ticket sales for this show. Instead, what we chose was to um, go after an audience that was a serious theater-going audience um, through the New York Times with uh, a brochure that fell out onto your doorstep. Um, and as it turns out, it's less expensive to do that in the, with a, it's called a freestanding insert. Actually, the term for it is a blue bag. And when you pick up your toes, a brochure that folded out into 10 panels or 8 panels. And that panels, is less expensive? Than a direct mail because of three different things. Um, there is no postage. Mm -hmm. um, there is no envelope. There are no mailing lists. And there is no waste. So that would be actually four things. Uh, with and direct you mail, choose where they go. You yes, pick choose and choose. choose. Oh, you can pick. You, you can, can pick. You can, pick uh, you can get as specific as, as neighborhoods, mm -hmm. as zip codes. Mm -hmm. um, and we did, I can think. Can you give us an approximate figure? Yeah, how much is sure, that up until Sure. Up until, uh, apart from production, mm -hmm. up until um, 50,000, it is uh, 17.5 cents per piece. 17.5 cents per piece. Mm -hmm. um, over 50,000, it goes down to 16.5 cents per piece. Now, those costs may have gone up in your And how many do you, if you're using the Times or the blue bag, how many do you sort of aim for, or did you aim for? Well, for this up? show, we stuck primarily to Manhattan, specifically the, the west side of Manhattan, and down to the village. Um, because of the demographic we were looking we to go audience. for. We picked, yeah. up, we picked up very specific <coughs> areas. Under uh, 80 on the east side, you know. <laughs> there are, there are, there are, but they tend not to live in doorman buildings, and therefore they're not getting the Times on their doorstep in them. It had to be delivered New York Times, not not mm -hmm. newsstand. Right, home New delivered Times. New York Times. Um, and so we 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 strategized and we pinpointed, and, and it was a, and out of the New York out of the New York Times when you picked it up that morning, this ten this huge ten dollars. Did you do any you survey of, of what that brought in? Um, well, we, we, we watched the, the, the membership ranks go from, I don't know, zero, zero to <laughs> many more than zero. Um, but there was, a, there was a huge rush in. I mean, it was the only thing that we had done through with our brochures. Mm -hmm. We mailed a very small, small, small number. number. We didn't get big. Um, but this was a very, and, and this was very effective. And, and the reason why it's very effective is that 
in the theater industry, we wind up spending 75% of our marketing budget in the New York Times anyway. Obviously, these are individuals we care a great deal about. Here's a way to take your direct marketing budget, which I feel direct marketing is one of the most important, if not the most important way to market theater, um, and targeting it directly at the, the money you're spending anyway. Um, through advertising. Now, did those come in the blue bag before it even opened? Uh, it, it, blue bag comes from the fact that in, in the suburbs, when you get a paper home delivery, it comes in a blue bag. Did you start it dropped. when it dropped? Oh, it dropped, uh, I don't even remember. Off the well, time right before it, Christmas, right. December 18th. Right. Right. When it yeah. dropped, they, the New York Times readers had seen an editorial story about right. Edgar mm -hmm. and Gregory, so they were familiar. Yeah. Then we had a big ad yeah, a big that caused ads. a lot of, you know, must have noticed. So hopefully when it fell on your floor, you, there was some kind of... Right. That was the fall plan, to yeah. get the story, take get the, the first big ad, do the blue bag in one week. And that's very important because this blue bag or any kind of direct marketing does not, cannot exist in a vacuum. It has to right, be given a Let's bring this up to opening night then. What were your reviews? Reviews were... Uh, Great, as I remember. I, I'm not a big review reader, and we, we don't allow the reviews at parties. We, because it seems to me you can have a party to celebrate the work you've just done, or you can have a party to talk about what some poor underpaid scribe has written. I've never and, known. I mean, no, I mean, God love them. I mean, I, I think critics work very hard for not much money. They're very knowledgeable people, and they really care. For the most part, I really I believe that. I have great respect yeah. for the men and women who do this. But I don't want that to be the what's what the opening night party is about. So what I tend to read them the next party? morning, and I'm a little hung over you. Yeah, no, but so I, I don't remember them too vividly. Because I, I it's uh, one of my really puzzling things about the theater. There are many, but that's one of them. Is why is the opening night party, which used to be the cast party, so they would get recognition right. to come into parties, it's thrown into an enormous party. And one larger thing, I love going to them, but I want, I've often thought that the money that it costs could buy two more days Unless the publicity it that it generates, you Well, now, is pay. that so important, that publicity? If you have, if you have uh, a star, like did, the biggest star, if Madonna... Did you have an opening night party? Yes, yes we did. And, so, and did you get publicity for Stanley? Well, Madonna didn't come. No, Madonna didn't come. <laughs> no, we did okay with it, but sometimes... Well, she was invited. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah. isn't it something you want to get people there so that you get a photograph in the If a celebrity poster, comes yeah. and it's the right celebrity that fits with, you know, what you're doing and it has like somebody's connected to somebody in the cast or whatever, then there's a resonance and it can, it can really hit. It can also really hit if it's a slow day on the people pages of, of the new, uh, magazines and, and it goes out on the wire. So it's, it's sort of a crapshoot, but when you know major people are coming, I think it's worth it. Now, I'm not one of, uh, certain people have lavish banquets and buffets and printed menus at each table. That I don't understand. Well, there's there, another, there's a whole other aspect for, for, though, the, right. uh, for the party. I mean, the party is a celebration of the culmination of the work opening, but in the commercial theater, you're inviting your investors in who need to be part of that celebration because they've taken a great risk. In the not-for-profit world, we have contributors who are invited to these parties. Right. And uh, so it's, it's a nice collaboration of celebration of the work, a recognition of the people who have participated in the work, and the people that have funded the work. And if we get publicity out of it on top of that, it's, it's icing on the cake. And then what we did with the reviews was also an unconventional thing. The fact is we had lots and lots of good quotes. Bits. They were assembled by Evan and Bill and various staffs and poured over, and we could have done a conventional quote ad, and it would have looked real sharp. 
would have been nice. Full page ad, half page ad, go see it, it's great, you know, all of that stuff. We didn't do that, as some of you may remember. We stuck with this picture of Tony, and we started plugging in just one word or two word things. Exquisite, but but not even generic things. We tried to, I don't remember they them were, right no, now. Emotional they were as hell. Emotional, emotional as hell. hell. Legendary performance. <laughs> so yes. suddenly that was arresting now. You have this man looking at you with his rather strange pose. Emotional as hell, the Wall Street Journal. We had Good Times quotes as well, but we continued to try and be provocative in a relatively small amount of space to keep signaling, not only do we have a good show, we're different than the rest of them. And, and where, we, where we place these ads, and this goes back to the membership as well, I mean, we didn't spend all of our money in the New York Times. We, we spent a lot of money and, and time and energy in the villa and made good relationships with the Village Voice and the New York Press, and, and, we, and we played around with Time Out as well. And, we, and, we've, and we've begun relationships with them that we feel are, are gonna be long-term relationships. And the reason for that is, the readers of those publications and others that we're beginning to explore as well um, represent that non-traditional, whatever the, the hell that means, but uh, you know the the non-regular attendees of theater, the younger or the lower income or the um, the, the less Broadway crowd than, than normally is. What about out of town? Not yet. Well, well we hit it through the New Yorker and New York magazines right. to a certain extent. But that that reminds me because uh, uh, it seems to. The, uh, in, in terms of press and, and, uh, and marketing, but certainly press, um, what do you do to attract that? I mean, we, we talk about the, the New Yorker, yes, and New York Magazine, but uh, so in, in the old days, literally, even Life Magazine used to cover and Time. What do you do? How do you approach the national scene? Because Time, Newsweek, those big uh, national the fact that Tina Brown was excited about the play, had sit, the editor of the New Yorker, had seen the piece in, uh, in, in London, was thrilled about Tony Scher's American debut, and Simon Sharma, who's just one of the smartest people in America, wrote a passionate article about Stanley Spencer, and he had seen a little bit of rehearsal. So he didn't rehearse, he didn't review well, it. Why did he see a little, did you, you've been building, <laughs> you got a miter, yeah. <laughs> I'm just pushing the obvious, but I want, you We know, kept on pushing sure. him out the door, but he came in anyway. Sure. And, and <laughs> you know, you, you adjust, the rules are uh, bendable under certain uh, you know, conditions, and certain directors will not have anyone, will not have anyone in the room, uh, including the press agent sometimes. Um, very so, very a regular simple. critic on the New Yorker, John Lawrence, yes. altering criticism anyway by doing a lot of biographical That's work right. in his criticism. That's but right. the other thing is, Anthony Schur is an actor that the critical community in New York is very familiar with, and they're very excited that he's making his debut here. And they they compare him to Olivier, and he's another generation. And it's something I I'm, I was aware of him, but I didn't realize how big his impact was till I spoke to all of the people in, in the press and, and the critics that there was genuine excitement. And the reviews reflected that, but also the women in this play, the three women who were in the original cast, also individually were the focus of some reviews because their work was so uh, amazing. Who did the casting of the Americans? Billy Hopkins, who's uh -huh. my longtime casting associate. Right. And so you went through that procedure for the show. Right. And now the show is open. Show, right. And now the show is open, and now, so now it's a question of being true to your school. Uh -huh. um, the biggest question we faced was not just filling seats, 
which was an off tremendous uh, incentive to any producing organization, but to continue to find this new audience. So we, now we have our good reviews. We have the Simon Shama piece. There was a kind of heat that just comes around certain shows. You don't know what happens, but sometimes you got a hot show and sometimes you cannot give it away, even though it's wonderful. We were hot. So we decided that we would do, try to do something subtler than cashing in. We would continue to try and present Stanley to a new audience. And so our, our bi-weekly marketing meetings became three and sometimes four times a week marketing meetings. How do we get this show to a new audience? How do we, what a wonderful, what's, what a wonderful way to introduce people to the theater um, or to remind them to come back to the theater. And so that's... Yeah, now what would go on? Let's, uh, like those meetings, in those meetings, beyond just how do you do that? What would what would be Gregory said? would yell at us. Cell phone not true. I would not protect them from Gregory, so no. the message was loud and clear. Uh, no, I mean we, we sat around and we brainstormed. I mean this the, the new audience like conversation. The new audience conversation had begun a, a lot earlier than that. Began with membership, and uh, we all talk about a new audience. We all talk about developing a new audience for the theater. And we have we have did, actually you managed have any proof to. That you to really did? Yes, we do have proof. And we do. Have well, we didn't bring it, so you'll have to take our word for it. All right. Um, but we can be specific. We commissioned, Evan commissioned a group called PRISM, a very highly respected uh, demographic analysis company, to analyze our new 20,000 members. And in our top 10 group, we've found that we had reached by, I have to say one thing first, what we, what we did was almost as important as what we didn't do. Just as in that poster, it doesn't say Mosier and Rosenblum and 27 other people present you ladies' underwear by so-and-so, wigs by uh, Louis. It doesn't say any of that. It says Stanley, a new play by Pam Gems, $10 every day, every member, circle in the square. That's it. That's all it says. So the marketing meetings became, first of all, we had to shove all the conventional things aside, focus on a new group, then we analyzed the new group, and it included... Uh, the, it included the, the traditional theatergoers. They were there, and they were, they were some of the first people who signed up, but that is very typical because of the subject matter and the theater itself, and because of Gregory and Edgar. But in the top five, actually, were groups that you don't see at a Broadway house. Um, and they, they have these kind of kitschy names via the, the research company, uh, young, uh, Bohemian Mix. <laughs> Bohemian uh, Mix? Yeah, Bohemian, Bohemian mix. mix, which is really basically like young intellectual, <laughs> intellectuals. Basically, if you had to say where they live, it's primarily on the lower east and west sides of Manhattan, in the village, uh, maybe Hell's Kitchen. These are people who are not necessarily high-income people. They can fit into that demographic as well, but primarily they're educators, artisans, mm. journalists, um, people of an artistic bent who don't necessarily go see Broadway theater. They tend to stay at Off-Broadway, both because of the economic reasons and because they feel like there's an intellectual cachet there. Um, ethnic urban yes there signals? was a, a, a ethnic urban signals, signals which is which is a a, a a landmark group for Broadway I mean it, Broadway does not draw in uh, how do you find this as a group how we take we take the ticket sales and, and the membership files from our computers at which includes are you asking how did we attract them or how do we know we attract how do you them? know where to find them Different. how do I know how to find them mm -hmm. oh okay mm -hmm. um, 
We, a lot of it's a lot of it's a, a, you know guesswork and, and gut instincts, but but much of it is also looking at who you want to attract and then looking at the demographics of the people who you, where you can buy advertising. One of the one of the things that we said early on was that ten dollars was much like a, a movie ticket. So one of the first things I did was struck a, a really nice deal with a company called Promotion Slides, which put uh, our images, which are great on movie screens, on every single movie screen, with except for one chain in the tri-state area. And so we had three messages per 15-minute program at the beginning. And, and if you go see a movie, it's those, those slides prior to the movie that sometimes it's trivia, sometimes it's advertising for the restaurant right around the corner. I boo that every time I stand <laughs> up and boo those. It's not, live, it's not live commercials, it's those slides. I boo them too. I boo everyone. Now, Brendan, there's no microphones on them. <laughs> I they, can't stand that They made 50. They were. <laughs> um, it, they, they are a branding image. And, and how they were invented is kind of a kind of interesting story. Rather than pay for these expensive curtains that used to open up at the beginning of every movie, um, which were very expensive, they did away with them and just put a blue screen. And what they found was people tore at the seats when they looked at a blue screen for 15 or 20 minutes. So they started to put questions and trivia up there. And then some smart person Obviously thought, you don't belong in that group. You don't live in the lower east side. Some smart person said, well, we can sell ads here. And that person called me. Um, so we got these images up there and it, and it branded $10 Stanley, circle in the square. Ten dollars, and you hopefully had seen it before in right. one of exactly. several opportunity so places mm -hmm. that you could see yeah. it. Well, now yeah. also uh, when you say uh, ethnic urban singles as opposed to yuppies, what right. makes them ethnic, and what are we talking about, and who, and what ethnicity, and why, and I, what we cannot find out through this research is who the individuals are themselves. Mm. We can't find out that you know Sammy Jones. Owns a uh, owns a Toyota and lives on 115th Street or whatever. What we can find out is that this number of the people in your audience represent this demographic group, and this is because the the files that we hand over are phone numbers, names, addresses, credit card numbers, and they are compared to Census Bureau national files and credit files. Strangely enough, um, we cannot find out that you. We don't get your individuals. Right. We don't. We cannot find out that you come from X and drive a, and drink Pepsi and whatever or. Um, do you, excuse but we I'm can find out that you belong move to this, this forward group. Do, you, do you have those members now who they they came to the theater they came to see Stanley you found them and they came to see Stanley and now what happens are they theater goers or are they we don't know the we don't know this is an experiment for this, for we the whole point of this for us is it's terra incognita mm -hmm. it's based on the idea that if we but continue you're, to you're play producers. to the same people mm -hmm. that, that the theater's been playing to for the last 30 years that's just not going to be very interesting, and it may mean a situation where there is no fu future theater. So for us, it's an experiment. We don't know how to hold them. We know that we can't do programming that is aimed, not aimed at them. So we will try and do it. But I think these people are young. I know they're young. I assume they're smart. I assume that they are curious. And in a, in a nutshell, the, the, the dilemma is this. There are a lot of people who want to create theater in New York City and in America. And there are a lot of people who want to see it. Over the years, the mechanism for connecting the people who want to create it and the people who want to see it, particularly young people, the mechanism has become rusty. It doesn't work. Not only does Broadway not work as a mechanism for them, but the traditional not-for-profit theater does not work as a mechanism. We are experimenting to find and to fine-tune a new mechanism. That's what's brought us all together, and is the thrill of this experiment. Right, and, we, and we, the testing will come of it to a certain extent, Isabel, 
when we announce the next few projects and we see how many of those members buy into the next production or two and how many of them will renew their membership because their experience has been something that they find interesting, exciting, intriguing, and, and will want to come back. In that sense, it's like subscription only to that point, the renewal process of coming back into the membership a second time. But the flexibility and all the other attractiveness of the membership uh, and what we have uncovered will reveal itself very shortly. Fortunately, but, we had Stanley as our first production, yeah. and they had a good experience, and they'll want to come back. If we had done something other than well, Stanley... Well, it's a track and, record right, for you to exactly. go on, right. and, and a very good one, too. But to as producers a, now, you have to find another production, right? Yes, ma'am. And you know, what is your next one? <laughs> oh, don't ask. Oh, wait. <laughs> we're, we're waiting we for the white ask. smoke. I want to ask one thing that <laughs> yeah. I go all the way back. Did you have to get any union concessions for your $10 ticket? Do you have to? No. No. People you, are excited. They understand, they, they understand that a young audience is the key to the success for the theater. They get it. Everybody involved in this institution gets it. The press gets it. Everybody gets it. Now we have to go do the work. Hmm. Well, the, uh, uh, when you say the, uh, it's true, the, the, the Danny Newman, who was the sort of the Saint Danny of the, uh, that, that formula no longer really works across the board. Uh, well, there, there the are, principles are there. But. The, principle, the principle was right for it at the time. What nobody foresaw in the long run was that the same people would resubscribe, 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 and nobody was doing anything to bring another generation or two generations, actually, right. of people into the theater. And what's happening, there have been articles in all over the national press for the last few years about the graying of the performing arts audience, and they're dropping off at the end. And one of the things we're trying to prevent here is, is that process, because we want to invigorate our theater and theater in general. We, we'd love it if everybody else would go with us, uh, because we need to bring when we say young, we mean younger. Uh, when we're not talking about bringing 14-year-olds into theater, though we're doing that as well. And the idea How is are you bring, doing that? We're bringing the average age of the audience down from the statistics of the Broadway and the not-for-profit theater in the country. And by bringing that down allows the renewal, and if you keep on doing that, then you'll have a consistency of audience over the years. The, uh, uh, the, I was just going to say that the Metropolitan Opera and the, and the symphony, uh, the the subscriptions there were handed down in the family from generation exactly. to generation. And unfortunately, that, fam that family handing down was largely reserved to the wasps who don't have as many children as they used to have. <laughs> and, and so it was an inverted pyramid. Fewer and fewer people were handing down to that. But you still see them as family inheritance right. showing up. That's not good enough. But now, it seems to me that your audience that you're talking about is the audience that also goes to the little theaters on West 42nd Street. Mm -hmm. Probably. Yeah, yeah. I seem to recognize them, and they're the kind of people you want to have. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you look at the ticket prices on West 42nd so I'm sorry, look at the ticket prices on West 42nd Street, and it's 10 and 12 and $15. But beyond that, they're the people who are going to the Angelica Film Center mm -hmm. and the Film Forum, mm -hmm. and they're going mm -hmm. to people who just, it doesn't even occur to them to go to the theater, Brennan. It's, mm -hmm. They don't read the theater pages. Yeah. You want to reach those people, get out of the theater pages. That's the first thing you got to do. How do you get do that? Get into the subways. Get in subways, bookstores, book record stores, Village Voice, Village, Village Voice, wild posting, flyering, you know, that radio. Paint the side of a building. We're looking at several buildings around town now. And the Blue great bag thing about, drops. Not yours. <laughs> the great thing about this experiment is so far, it's all clicked in. There has not been sort of a misfire or a wipeout, thankfully. 
now it's in a position to take the next step and it, it's in the best possible point it can be. So to continue all of this and trying to get the new audience and continue to say circle in the square and, and you see a 10 and you know what, you know, develop it, that we really are in an excellent moment right now. It's just now we're, we're on to the next thing. You've been very good about answering our questions, but we still have some more. And I, I, I think we have some questions from the audience. And, and that have to be answered or should be answered. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it will be answered. Hi, my name is Rhoda Robinson. My question is to Mr. Evan Shapiro. When you uh, were offered the job, did your company submit a proposal? And if so, what did the proposal consist of, such as a budget breakdown, what you would do for Stanley, and how you would initiate the job and operate the job? Can you give me some idea? We were supposed to submit a proposal, and it'll be to you next week. Um, <laughs> no, I, it, we, the first thing we talked about was, the, as a proposal was a list of ideas. I don't think Gregory and Edgar were as concerned about how much money to spend and where to spend it as they were to, to know that we were tapped in to the way they were thinking about approaching a new audience. And I, we met on a Thursday and I spent the entire weekend, I sent my wife and daughter away mm -hmm. and I worked that entire weekend to come up with a list of ideas of how to approach and, and, I, and I called them the next Monday and I said, I got it, I'm ready. And, and they came over and, and there was a connection as far as ideas go. And then as soon as we agreed that we had the same mindset and were ready to work together and the same approach, we then said, okay, how much money do you have to spend? And I really, I didn't make a proposal saying we should spend this much money. I, I asked, how much do you have to spend? And then tried to gear the proposal towards that. Well, the way we connected was we just regarded each other as insane. <laughs> and although we had no money, uh, no, no, relatively, just, just theater in the people. We, we were united by not only willingness, but a passion to try those ideas, which all of us have been told for 10 years won't work, because our gut instinct told us they would work. I think have that's a very important issue about the fact that experienced people here of varying ages, Evan, myself, Gregory, and Bill, went more on our instincts coupled with our experience rather than on hard statistical evidence of the past. And our instincts, for the moment, seem to be very, very accurate. The difference between a straight play such as Stanley sure. and a musical, are you going to do musicals at Circle and Square? You think you, yes. as well as... Yes, I mean, they'll have to be unusual musicals because we have our funny little space. But I'm sure we'll do plays with, that have with music, music in them. Typically, sure. typically, people who are avid about going to plays don't necessarily go to musicals. And typically, people who are attracted to musicals very rarely go to plays. Well, you, know, you, you mentioned the actors. Will you have to do different contracts with them for yeah, the What, what kind of contract? We, we, uh, when you said before earlier, George, that uh, we're a Broadway theater, we are and we aren't. We are definitely in the Broadway district. We're a Tony-eligible theater. We're members of the league, Gregory and I. But we are a Lork theater. We are a not-for-profit professional theater and work under those contracts. We are being League of... League of Resident Theaters, the not-for-profit theaters in the country. There's 68 of them who are members of the league. And uh, it's an important message for us because uh, we will be raising 50% of our operating expenses every year. And therefore, we need to operate under those contracts and we need to make 
those arrangements with the unions that recognize the nature of our theater as well as the economic limitations of theater. We do not have a thousand seat or more like most Broadway houses. We have 604 seats. It's a nice sized theater. Its intimacy allows us to do things that a lot of houses can't do, but that creates financial limitations in that context. So yes, we are going to look to the unions to make applicable relationships with us, but at the same time, uh, we need those uh, professionals and we need the, the good disciplines. We've, we've had a wonderful crew on this show, I, a I, wonderful I staff. I have to draw this and, to a close, I, and, and I, I feel that I want to go on and on and listen to you because you're all so experienced and you all care so much. It's really what makes the theater what it is to have people like you, and I, I'm so impressed with the fact they're experienced and you still have this excitement and this caring about the theater as much as you do and also about dollars and cents as well and i hope you get a lot of it and i, I hope you sell a lot of tickets and thank you so much this wonderful production team of circle in the square which produced stanley this is the american theater wing seminar on working in the theater and it's coming to you from the graduate center of the university of new york and it is but one in a series of seminars that we do on what it is to work in the theater. Thank you so very much, all of you, from Circle in the Square. Thank you.